0: Well, I don't, uh, I don't feel uh, the need to come up and say anything moderately humorous, uh, usually. Uh, I would also probably fail at doing that pretty frequently, but I do feel the weight of what Mark just mentioned. Like, my preaching's not just, well, here's some information you could, like, buy a commentary if that's all you want, right? I, I'm preaching that we might know and worship the one true God. So, so I feel the weight of that. Uh, this, this, isn't, this isn't playing around. This isn't entertainment. A lot of people are going to be fixed on some form of entertainment uh, later today, whether you prefer the entertainment of the football game or the entertainment of the advertisement that comes uh, in between all of those. Uh, a lot of us get really engaged in sports and entertainment, all sorts of things that are good gifts from God that are to be enjoyed uh, for a time. So, so nothing against enjoying good gifts from God, but what we're about to do, I think, is Incredibly more important than that, even thinking about that football game that's coming up later today, uh, people have been talking about it for you know a couple of weeks, the teams that are involved, the Eagles and Chiefs, preparing, especially the last two weeks, the chiefs for a game plan that will help them beat the Eagles, the Eagles, a game plan that they think will help them beat the chiefs. So there's been this preparation going on uh, for the last couple of weeks, but I think if you talk to most of the players and coaches involved. They would say, we're not just like, it's not just been two weeks of preparation for this. They've played in lots and lots of football games. This, the Super Bowl, is like the climax of all of those. But most of them would say, we haven't just been preparing for two weeks. We've been preparing for this for the entire season. Every other game, a preparation for this, or they might even look back at their whole lifetimes, and probably a lot of them would say, I've been preparing my whole life for this moment. Right? So, so a lot of preparation going into uh, one main event that's going to happen here later on. Here's what we're doing today, and it's related a little bit, except for way better. We're going to look at the very Word of God. We started last week a new series where we're going to go verse by verse through Luke's gospel, the gospel according to Luke. We looked last week at just one sentence, the first four ver- verses, which are a very purposeful prologue. And we pointed this out last week. Here was the big idea. It's long, but it's important. The Gospel according to Luke is a true and trustworthy story about Jesus that was written so that all kinds of people would have certainty about who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. That's what Luke is, and that's what we saw last week. And in this true story, the climax, the the highlight is is at the center of it. It's really all that all of the rest of Scripture has been pointing ahead to. God has an eternal plan to save a people for Himself. And when we get to the Gospel, the Gospel gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we finally see the climax, the, the center point of all of God's plan and purpose from all of eternity that centers on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So we've been looking forward to this. Interestingly, though, as the book gets kicked off today, we're going to go through verses 5 through 25, and we're not even going to meet Jesus yet. We're still in a phase of God doing the final preparations for the big climax that's about to come. The birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that's coming, but we're not going to get there yet. Today. It's the final preparations for that process. We're going to jump into a period of time in history during the reign of Herod, king of Judea. We're going to see how God's final plan is worked out through one older couple who is childless, living in the Middle East in the days of Herod, king of Judah. This couple has a problem, and they've been praying. God's people have a problem. And they've been praying. They're waiting for God to send another prophet, waiting for God to send the Messiah. And they've been waiting. They've been praying. How does all this fit together? What are God's plans for this couple? What are God's plans for his people? What role does prayer play in all of this? Today in this passage, I think we're going to be forced to wrestle with what is an important question. The question of, if God is sovereign, and he has a plan that he will work out for everything then why do we pray? What role does prayer play in God's big plan? I think we see a glimpse into that, an answer to that question in a way here. Very simple. Last week, it was like a super long sentence that was the idea that I was getting at in this sermon. Today, very short. Here's what it is. God's plans will be fulfilled, so we pray. God's plans will be fulfilled, so we pray. If you're able to, would you stand as we read the very Word of God? Luke chapter 1, 5 to 25, let's, let's pray first. Father, you, you know me. You know my inabilities and weakness. You know that I can't make people worship, but God, by your Spirit, would you stir us up? that we would hear your word and that we would grow in certainty that you are a sovereign God who does have a plan for all things and all people and that you expect your people to pray. So God, do whatever you want to do in us, but at least would you stir us up to worship you as we hear your word read even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, God's word says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. You can be seated. If it's helpful for you, again, this is not just about information, but it can be helpful for you to stay engaged and take notes. If that's helpful for you inside your Bulletin is a sermon notes and life group guide page. I invite you to use that if that's helpful for you. And you'll see the outline there that what we have at the beginning is a problem. Let me lay out the problem for you. We can see it there in verses 5 through 7. The, the story begins on a historical note. Remember, Luke is a historian trying to get an accurate, orderly account of these events. So it's not surprising that he gives us a timestamp. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, this would be around the year probably. Well, his his reign ended in four BC, so sometime just before that. Here's the big problem. There's a couple of big problems. One is the big problem for God's people, because if, if we don't have like dates uh, written into the different books of the Bible, but if you think through this, the last prophet, the last prophet through whom God spoke was the prophet Malachi. And Malachi had lived and died 400 years ago. So here's a big problem, just to, just to put it in perspective. 400 years, think of how many generations that has been. How many people have been born, lived, and died? And then the next generation being born, living, and dying for 400 years, and they've yet to hear from another prophet. People have heard from God through the prophets and through others of a coming Messiah, but no Messiah has come and not even a prophet has come for 400 years. This is a big problem. They're wondering, does God hear us? Is he going to fulfill his promise? Does he, is he going to work out his plan or is he just done with us? Right? So, so there's the big problem. And also, a couple that is, this is a nice way to say old, advanced in years, Right? So if somebody ever calls you old, like, no, I'm not old, I'm advanced in years, Uh, right? I'm just advanced. Uh, That's that's the word we get here in verse 5, or in verse uh, 7. Here's the the problem for this couple. They had no child. Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. They desired children. They did not have children. And, And note what else we know about them. It says they were righteous, How does does a, a sinful people become righteous by faith? Just the way Abraham became righteous by faith, right? Elizabeth and Zechariah, not perfect, but they became righteous by faith. They walked blamelessly. They were living obedient lives before the Lord, yet their problem was we're old now and we still have not had children. So we see a couple of big problems. A big problem for all of God's people and a big problem for one couple. Some of you have, are, or will face the pain of infertility, and you might understand them in a, in a special way. But the big questions as we start are this, will God ever send a prophet? Is God really going to work out his plan to send the Messiah? Is that ever really going to happen? And the big question for Zechariah and Elizabeth, are, are we done? Is there no hope? Are we having no children now? So there's the problem in verses five to seven. If we go on in the passage, we get kind of to the heart of this part of the account. And you notice I use a whole lot of P words there. We've got a pronouncement, a plan, a prophet, preparation, and prayer. And I'm not just making this stuff up. It's all there. We see that. So I wasn't just trying to be cute with alliteration. We see these things here in the text. We begin with the setting. I read to you. I'm not going to reread every single verse, but you heard as I read in verses 8 through 10 that Zechariah and his division are on duty. Just a quick note, there was 24 different divisions, and you break up uh, the year. The way it worked out generally is that each division would be on duty for two weeks out of the year, and they weren't consecutive weeks. So this happened to be the week where Zechariah is on duty in the temple. The way that they would choose who goes in and does the offering of incense, the burning of incense before the Lord, is they would do it by lot. And so he's chosen by lot to be the one from his division on the week when he's working to go into the temple and burn incense before the Lord. What's happening outside of the temple is a whole multitude of people have gathered together and they're praying. So you've got people outside praying, Zechariah going in alone to burn incense before the Lord. That's the setting. And here's where we hear about prayer being answered. Look at verse 13. An angel shows up in verses 11 and 12, and as is customary for people when they see these warriors of light, these messengers from God, they're fearful. And the angel, as is customary, says to the person who's fearful, do not be afraid. Right? So he says that to him in verse 12, and then we hear this in verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Listen, For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Think of how many years Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying to the Lord that he would answer their prayer and they would give him, them, a son or daughter. And they're praying, and now this angel shows up in the temple to tell him, your prayer has been heard your wife, will conceive and bear a child. This is good news. And then we learn some important things about this son. We learn that his name will be John. Now, Now, we're going to start to note as we read through this, okay, yes, we're going to see God's plan being revealed, prayer being answered for one childless couple, but also we're going to be seeing God's eternal plan being worked out and the prayers of many people being answered because of who this child is going to be. Let's keep looking at this. Verse 14, And you will have joy and gladness. Well, yes, they will. They've been praying for this. They've been asking God, begging, pleading with God that He would give them a child. And when that child comes, He tells them, You will have joy and gladness some of you who have battled infertility and God has given you children you felt that joy and gladness and then this note verse 14 and many will rejoice at his birth they're not going to be the only ones that are happy because of this many will rejoice at his birth and he tells us why verse 15 for he will be great before the Lord And some specific requirements, those of an Old Testament Nazarite, he must not drink wine or a strong drink. And then this note, this is interesting. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Remember that before Pentecost, at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to settle in and dwell in all those who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Prior to that, it's not that the Holy Spirit was inactive, right? The Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament, and those of you who are men in our men's Bible study, we've seen this in Judges, occasionally the Holy Spirit will come into a certain person at a certain time for a certain purpose, Usually that's just for a moment, to, to fight and win a battle or something like that. Here, though, we're told that the Holy Spirit is coming into John while he's still in his mother's womb. God it has a special plan and purpose, something he's going to work out through this baby, right? Who will grow up to be a man. So, let's, let's keep looking. What's he going to be? What, what's God's plan for this Man, verse, 15, verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Notice this turn language, we're going to see it a couple of times. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Okay, now we're reading this and we're like, oh, that, that, that sounds like it's just a prophecy of what this baby, soon to be born, is going to do. But if you are a Jewish person reading this and hearing Luke's account, your jaw's going to drop right here. You know why? Who did I say was the last prophet that God's people had heard from? Malachi. If you look in your Bible, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. So we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you just go back a few pages to the book of Malachi, I want you to hear the last words... In the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Here's the 400 years. They haven't heard anything from God since this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That's the last thing, 400 years earlier, that, God had, that, that God's people had heard from him. And now, this angel is telling Zechariah in the temple, "You, your wife, who has been barren, is going to bear a child. And his name will be John. He'll be great before the Lord. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. And listen, he's the one. He's the prophet that is coming before the great and awesome day of the Lord that, that the prophet, the last prophet to speak, Malachi, was telling us about. John, is, in a sense, is going to be the last of the Old Testament prophets. right? There's been a 400-year gap. No prophet, no word from the Lord until this one who is going to be born. These are God's final preparations for what is about to come. We actually see that word there at the end of verse 17. He is coming to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. We're back in Luke 1 now. right? So John, the prophet, prophesied about in the very last words of the last prophet of the Old Testament there's going to be another prophet coming in the spirit of Elijah who's going to do some turning and he's going to be preparing a people for the Lord So this is this is exciting I don't know if you're excited I was excited about this I'm excited they were probably immeasurably excited about this We see prayer being answered we see in verses 13 to 17 a pronouncement of God's plan to send a prophet to prepare a people for the Lord. This is good news. How does Zechariah respond to it? Well, you heard me read it. He's not too sure. He's not too sure he should believe this. This is how you've gotten, haven't you, after years of praying for something and hearing no answer from God. Some doubt starts to creep in. Verse 18, Zachariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Like, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm just not seeing it. We've been praying for a long time and nothing. in verses 19 and following, the angel identifies himself as Gabriel, lets Zechariah know that there will be temporary consequences for his unbelief. That will be that he will be unable to speak for a time, so when he comes out, people know he can't speak. It's going to be temporary, but a temporary consequence for his unbelief, yet, even though there wasn't... Belief accompanying his prayer anymore. Maybe he was just going through the motions like he kept praying for it, but he didn't think it was actually going to happen. Yet God is still working out his plan. His prayer is being answered, right? That's the first thing that the angel said in verse 13. Your prayers have been heard, right? Okay, so let's, uh, let, let's move on to verses 24 and 25. This is what they've been waiting for. Verses 24 and 25, the last two verses we're looking at, after these days... His wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months, she kept herself hidden. Now, there's different ideas about why she kept herself hidden. We don't know for sure is probably the the best, most honest answer. We don't know why exactly she kept herself hidden, but what we do know is what's important. This barren one is now bearing a child. The childless couple has now conceived, right? And the one that will be born is the one that God had promised 400 years earlier, Another prophet is going to be born, this prophet who will prepare the way for the Lord. The plan has been pronounced, prayers are being answered, and Elizabeth is pregnant. A long-awaited prophet will come and prepare the way for a long-awaited Messiah. So, that's the part of the story we've gotten through today. A couple of things that I want to push into us to try to apply this to us, because this is, a, this is a true story, this is a trustworthy story, this is exactly how it happened, but why does that matter for us? Let me tell you maybe a couple of things. There's probably more, and you'll work through some in your life group. But remember that Luke wrote the gospel according to Luke in order that people might become more certain of what they've already been taught. That's what we saw in Luke chapter 1, verse 4. So one of my goals is that we would become more certain in this, that we would become more certain that God will indeed work out his plan, that God's plan will be fulfilled. I want us to walk out of here today seeing through this account that that I can be more certain than I was when I walked in here today that God will fulfill his plans. I can be confident of that. I don't know a lot about a lot of things, but I can know that God will fulfill his plans. When you think about what it would have been like, you know, putting yourself in their sandals, 400 years, generation after generation, it was like great, 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 great grandma who heard something from a prophet, and nobody since then. And they've been through a lot, God's people have, up till this point. And they've been waiting, and now, now it's finally going to happen. God God hasn't given up on his people. God has a plan that it will be fulfilled and as God would often do it, he's going to do it through an unlikely kind of couple. Yes, they're righteous, they're obedient, they're walking before the Lord, but they're old, oh, I mean, excuse me, advanced in years, right? They're, they're advanced in years, and they have no children, But we've seen God do this before, haven't we? Hasn't this been like the part of God's plan? Like right from the very beginning of God choosing a people for himself, it's Abraham's wife. They're super, well, I shouldn't say super old because some of you are getting there, right? 90 and 100, right? So so they're they're advanced in years as well. But God fulfills his promise. And over and over again, we've seen God's plan being worked out in the most unlikely of situations. You think about what it would be like for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Praying for their whole lives, their whole marriage. They've been praying that God would give them a child and now they can feel a baby kicking inside of Elizabeth's womb. I hope that helps us to become more certain. Here's some good news. This is basic good news. God will bring to fulfillment His plan to save His people. From all of eternity, God has had a plan to save a people for himself. And we can know this with certainty. God will bring to fulfillment his plan to save his people. God will always fulfill his plans. He doesn't make plans and then like something else happens and they don't get done. Uh, one time, Kirsten and I decided it would be good to have one of those cornhole like bag toss games. It's like, oh, I can make one of those. It's just some wood. You just, like, I got a hammer. Oh, I can do that and a saw. Like, we can figure this out. So I looked up plans. Like, here's what you need to buy. Do we have one, Kirsten? Nope. (laughs) Right? We don't have one. Uh, I had plans, and it just never happened. We all have that. Like, we've got plans that don't get fulfilled. God does not have a plan that will not be fulfilled. God has a plan to, to save his people, and he will fulfill That plan. God promised to send another prophet like Elijah, and he was doing it. God promised to send a Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. And his birth is going to be announced here pretty soon. And he's fulfilling it through, in part, preparing a people for the Lord through the prophet about to be born. Now, note this when I say God's plans will be fulfilled. Notice even the way I put, the, I put the, the big idea for this sermon. I didn't say, if, if we pray and believe, God will answer. Right? I didn't say, if we pray and believe, God will answer. There, there's a certain kind of teaching, uh, kind of a combination of like a word of faith and prosperity kind of preaching. I don't use the word gospel after it because it's not good news at all. Right? It's, it's, it's It's false teaching. And they would tell you that if you just have enough faith and say just the right words, God would be obligated to give you what you ask for. And so if you're not getting what you're asking for, it's your fault. You lack faith or you're not saying the right words. Are they right? No, they're not. Because for years, here's an example, Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed for a child. We're told they lived faithful, obedient lives, and yet God did not give them a child. For all those years, yet it was God's plan for them to have a child in their old age, even though it seemed like Zechariah didn't even believe God ever would. It wasn't like, oh, you just need to pray with more faith, Zechariah. Not cutting it. How many others at that time? And how many others in the 2,000 years since? How many of you, maybe even here today, have prayed again and again for something? Maybe for you, it has been praying for a child, and, and there's still no child. Maybe for you, it's been praying for healing, and there's still no healing. Maybe for you, it's been praying for the salvation of a lost loved one, and there's still walking apart from the Lord. You've prayed again and again and again, and it's as though God's not answering you. Listen, my, my, my pastoral encouragement to you is not to tell you you need to have more faith. You're not saying the right words. Don't listen to those guys. I want to just encourage you by saying, listen, the Lord has a plan and He will work it out. It might be for your healing or it might not. It might be for a baby, it might not. But I can tell you with certainty that God has a plan and He will work it out. Maybe His plan is exactly what you're asking for and maybe His plan is something other than that. Zachariah and Elizabeth's story is one more example of this. We can be certain that we trust in a God who has a plan that will be fulfilled. That's the first part. And the second part is, so we pray. So we pray. If you're like me, you, you, think, you think through things kind of logically and systematically. And so you've asked this question probably, haven't you? If, if God has a plan that He intends to fulfill and He will fulfill then what's the point of me praying? Raise your hand if you've thought of that before. Like you, you've, Okay, a lot of people, and it's not just all adults, a lot of kids are thinking the same thing, right? If God has plans, and he will certainly bring them to fulfillment, what's the point of praying? Right? We, know, we know that we don't worship some small, weak God who just like, he didn't even think of that until we prayed it, then he got this idea. Like, oh, never, that, that's not the God we worship, Right? We don't worship a God who we can manipulate. Like if I just say the right words, then I'm going to obligate God to do it. Like no, that's not the God we worship. God is sovereign and God does have a plan. So why do we pray? Here's here's a super short answer to that. This isn't the only answer, but here's one. Because God has a plan and quite often his plan is worked out through the prayers of his people. We pray, even though God has a sovereign plan that will be fulfilled and we can be certain of it for all things, we pray because God has a plan and quite often his plan is worked out through the prayers of his people. And sometimes they're prayers filled with faith and sometimes they're prayers that aren't filled with a lot of faith, right? Like Zechariah's prayers had become, like like the church in Acts 12 I, I remember you remember this story uh, it was one of those like times in the Bible where you have to just kind of chuckle and I think you're supposed to kind of chuckle remember what happens in Acts chapter 12 James had just been killed this was a rough time to be a Christian James had just been killed and Peter was put in prison he's wondering and the church wondering is he next is he going to be the next one to be executed So, what does the church do? Acts chapter 12, verse 5 says this. So, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. What does the church do when Peter's in prison about to be killed? They get together for a prayer meeting, right? They're in earnest prayer. They're together. They're not just, hey, everybody go home and pray. They sent out an email prayer request and everybody, no. They're like, we need to get together and we need to pray. The church is together. The church is praying. What are they praying for? That Peter would be released from prison. They hear a knock on the door. Right? The servant girl named Rhoda goes to answer the door, and she recognizes Peter's voice. She doesn't even open the door. She goes back to the people that are praying, and she says to them, Peter's at the door. And they say, praise the Lord, our prayers have been answered. We bo- No, you know actually what they say? You're out of your mind. That's what they say to her. You are out of your mind. That's what they've been praying for, right? They're praying with little to no faith. Yet, has God answered their prayer? Yes. Now, is that now? am I saying, like, hey, we shouldn't pray with faith? No, because there are other passages, and again, you'll look at this in your life groups. We are to pray believing that God can and will answer our prayer. But God's answering of our prayer isn't dependent on the amount of faith that we have. God is not dependent on us for anything. We pray because God has a plan, and quite often his plan is worked out through the prayers of his people. Sometimes prayers filled with faith and sometimes prayers that have little faith. So, just final application. Church, let's pray. Man, I've, I've been yelling. I, I forgot I have a microphone. I don't have much of a voice left. Uh, I'm excited about this, but, but here, here's what I want. Here's what I've been convicted of personally. Church, we need, we need to pray. Like more. At home, pray. Alone, with your, with your spouse, with your kids, we need to pray more at home. We need to pray more in our life groups. We need to pray more at Bible study. We need to pray more when we just run into other people, and we know that they're struggling. We don't say, I'll pray for you. Let's just do it right now. Let's pray. We need to pray more on Sundays, tomorrow. So uh, once a month, and I think we need to, we, we got to figure out a way to do this more than once a month, but tomorrow, Would be our once a month time where we're gathering at 7 o'clock for about a half hour of prayer. If you're available tomorrow night at 7 p.m., just come and pray. Uh, We need to be praying together. We have many in our church in need of healing, people in our church dealing with infertility. And perhaps God's plan is to bring about healing and babies through the prayers of his people. So we should be praying. We have so many in our families, in our community, in our nation, and in all nations who need to be saved. And God's plan is to bring about salvation to those people through the prayers of his people. So we should be getting together to pray. As a church, we have decisions to make. The people that are on this committee sent out a thing to our leaders uh, just this week saying, as our numbers continue to grow, we got to figure out would it be beneficial to expand the facility a little bit in order to expand opportunities for ministry in this community where so many people are lost and need Jesus? We need to be praying about that, right? God's plan might be that through the prayers of his people, an answer comes clear to us, right? So, so we are a people who are in desperate need of getting together more frequently and praying more fervently, knowing that That God has a plan and he will work it out. And he might, in fact, be planning to work out his plan through the prayers of his people. We see that, I think, in Luke 1, 5 to 25. And I'm grateful for it. I hope you are too. And I hope it spurs us on to have certainty that we have a God who will work out his plan. And to grow in our commitment to praying that that plan would be fulfilled. Let's pray now. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're a sovereign God. (laughs) Thank you that you are not in need of anything. We are. We're in need of so much. You're not in need of anything. We're dependent on so many. We're ultimately dependent on you, and you're not dependent on anything or anybody. We know you don't need our prayers to accomplish your plans, yet we count it a great privilege that you the sovereign god have made our prayer part of your plan. So god would you make us more certain more certain of your sovereignty, more certain of your mercy, more certainty of your love. And as we become more certain of those things that you would drive us to pray more. In Jesus name. Amen. If you're able stand and sing with us of the certainty of